sermon series, new month. Can you hear me okay? Nothing? Yes? No? Yeah? Yeah? All right, all right, all right. We are excited to start up a new sermon series called Breathe, which is in relation to the Psalms. And this first sermon is going to be an overview of the entire book of Psalms and really getting into Psalm 1. But before we do that, most of y'all know me now. I've been here a little over a year and you know that I love, my second calling is being a game show host. <laughs> when Drew Carey retires, I will be in line, but I will still remember you all as I head to LA, closest without going over. Now we're not doing Prices Right this morning. In fact, we had such good singers this morning. I'd like to invite up both Philomena and Lori back up to the stage. Can you give them a big round of applause, folks? For this is a game called Don't forget the lyrics. They have no idea that I was planning this. I did so good at keeping this all secret during the run through. Come up on stage. Lori, you're going to be up first. And we are so excited. While they're, while they're reorienting themselves, because they have no idea why they're up on stage, there's two pieces of paper. We're going to get into one, which is the Psalms sheet in a moment. The other one is just a link to our block party page. This is for you to share. This is not for you to keep. Take this piece of paper, this little half sheet of paper, give it to someone you know and say, hey, come back to a block party. There will be, I'm going to give you a little hint. There will be a dunk tank and you get to baptize your pastor during that block party. I go first. <laughs> <laughs> it now. Lori would like to go first and baptize me as I have her up here. Now, this song is called Don't Forget the Lyrics. I got to hide the lyrics here. Lori, here's your microphone. We have the tech team who have, who have practiced this flawlessly. This will not go wrong, gentlemen. Actually, it probably will. But we will try this our very best. Now, this, the goal of this is they will play about five seconds of a song. I will give you the name of the song before they play. And then you have to finish out whatever lyric it is. And if you can't, five, five words. Five words is all we're looking for. Five words. Now, from a, from you, into the microphone, yes. And now you get, you, get one, you get one pass where you say, congregation, help me. Okay. If you're online, please type in the lyrics and hit enter. We have people who are watching to make sure they're exactly right. Spelling and punctuation, okay? <laughs> Questions? Why? <laughs> It will become clear in a moment. It'll become clear in a moment. There's a method to this madness. We love you, Lori. You have three different versions. You have three songs. Then, then we'll have Philomena do the next three, okay? You'll see very quickly there is a pattern to the method. The first song is Fleetwood Mac Landslide. Round of applause, point for Lori. That is not the key that I normally sing that in, though. <laughs> I tried my best. Point? I tried my best. The next song, in a female version, is not Louis Armstrong. This is What a Wonderful World. I see trees of green, red roses too. Oh, no! Okay, there and it is. I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Did the congregation help you with that one? Yeah. All right, point for Lori. Good job, congregation. You gave me the first word, yeah. The third song is, in your final, before the champion song, which will be in a moment. Third song is, Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Oh, you got this. Well, I hope I got it. Sing it at the 80s block party. <laughs> he took the midnight 
Just a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. Well done. Round of applause, Lori. Well done. Well done. Well done. This is Philomena. She's brand new to the worship team this week. Way, way to go. Just singing along on Don't Forget the Lyrics. Philomena, your first song is Brian Adams' Everything I Do. Ask the congregation to help if they need help. I've never heard this song. Just play it, play it. We because I say that and then I hear it. Oh. Such a Robin Hood. Such a soul. You will find me there. You'll search no yeah. more. I can't believe how well this is working with zero practice. I think we should never practice anything at church ever again. Here we go. Next song is Starship, We Built This City. Ask for help if you need help. I'm going to skip to the chorus. We built this city. (laughs) (laughs) Round of applause. we'll We'll give you a point for that. We'll give you a point. Your third and final song before the duet champion song is one of the great classics, Hanson Mbop. I was a 90s kid, so this is good. I know there's Ooh, a Bob, round of applause but... for Philomena. <laughs> Last and final song. It is a duet because they both are winners in our book because it is church. This is We Are the Champions by Queen. Duet song. Here we go. Everybody. Are the we champions. There it is. All right, round of applause. <laughs> Congratulations to both of you. Thank you so much for playing along. Don't forget the lyrics. That was well done, both of you. I had, no, I had low expectations and you shattered them on that game. Fantastic job. Here is the point of this. There are some marvelous lyrics that have been written by the human race. Amen? And then there's Mbop. Ignoring Lindsay Durenberger, Mbop is not the classic lyricist ever written. There are lyrics that convey beautiful love, grace, and and platitudes that that are unbelievable. And then there's songs that are just like, how did they think that we built this city on rock and roll is a great lyric. Does it really stand the test of time? Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like you to send... Five minutes, maybe four minutes, maybe one minute, actually. Let's go one minute. Think through the greatest lyric you've ever heard or that you think is one of the greatest songs ever written. Share that with somebody and greet them in the name of Christ this morning. Turn and look to those around you. Favorite song lyrics ever written. If you're online, please chat those in right now.
All right. If you haven't shared your song, it is too late. It will never be shared. Now, there is a difference, I'll say, between Landslide and the song Barbie Girl, which I was like, oh, that'd be a great song to play. No, it is not a great song to play at church. Do not play that song. Do not listen to that song. There are some great lyrics like Landslide. They're beautiful. And then there's just some that are not great. But the same can be said for worship music. There are some lyrics that elevate us theologically to another level, and then some that just don't. And the lyric changes with different phrases of our lives. For example, there is a time where our God is an awesome God. He reigns really connected to my soul. And if I heard them singing that, I'd be like, really? That's what we're singing on Sunday morning? And now I know that next week we're going to have that probably on, this, on, the, on, the, on the online. Kumbaya compared to oceans. Again, they speak to you at different points and different levels of your life. And some of us connect God on certain Sundays, and some of us write the pastor notes saying we need to have more hymns on certain Sundays, yes? Yes, I know some of you, I hear you. Worship connects us. It's an activity, a verb, a moment where you give yourself fully over to something else, and the words matter. See, worship shapes your soul. Worship shapes your soul. Worship happens at various moments in our life with a loved one. Sometimes we worship a football team, with a job, with an idea, with a concept, we as humans are made with an innate desire and an ability to worship, and we worship through the lyrics and the words that we speak and say. We see this through the book of Psalms. If you grab your, your sermon sheet, which is not a normal thing we do at E3, but to go through the entirety of the book of Psalms, I wanted to give everyone just a little bit of extra help. For our online folk, we will post this later through our website and send it out to you. But Psalms is written with a lot of structure, there are five books, and each book ends basically with the same line in Hebrew. This is a Scott Martin translation. God is really, really, really awesome. And then it goes to the next book of Psalms. The Psalms structurally are not by certain authors in one book to the next book. It's a variety of different types of music, a variety of different topics, and a variety of different years that have been written. Psalms uses a variety of literary symmetry, this idea of chiasm, where it starts A, B, C, and then ends C, B, A. It, makes a, it comes in together. There's alliterations, there's parallelism, and there's various other literary structures. The longest psalm, Psalm 119, Psalm 119, starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet for every lyric line. So we, we, we can, well, I don't think we have that in English. If we do, let me know. Just type in it if you know online. This idea of A, B, C, each line starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's the longest, Psalm 119. Just for a little, did you know? Psalm 117 is the shortest psalm. Psalm 119 is the longest. And for most of our Bibles, Psalm 118 is the exact center of your Bible. The more you know, the more you know. Not every Bible, don't quote me on that, but most Bibles. Psalms are 1,000 years of Hebrew literature, so they have a varied feel to each one. Imagine comparing lyrics of Elvis Presley versus the band Weezer. Some of you don't know what that band is. There we go. You're my guy. Weezer versus Elvis, comparing those two, you'd say there's no, there's, there's no similarities. And so at times when you're reading the book of Psalms, you'll say, boy, this psalm is very, very different than another numbered psalm in the 150 because it's a thousand years of Jewish history that it represents. Most psalms, as you open up your Bibles, carry a heading, and it gives us an example and understanding of what the psalm will be about or who it is by. 
also historical events, musical and liturgical details, and even the type of genre. Psalms also use different types of instruments, primarily the lyre, the harp, and the lute. Verses, if you went to a church about 40 or 50 and sometimes 60 or 70 years ago, it was mainly organ or piano. Versus today, we have a completely different instrumentation behind us. I don't think this church has an organ yet, does it? Do I see an organ? There's an organ sound. There we go. Perfect. Lastly, there's this idea in the books of Psalms of this concept called Selah. It's a word that we do not have a good Jewish to English translation, and we don't actually truly know the original meaning. Many different Bible scholars would say it's it's ascribed to a rest. If you look at the symbols on the back wall there, that middle one is the rest symbol for musicians to say, this is the point where I don't make a sound. However, however, I believe it's more of the whole act of worship that can be done both with sound or in silence, that it's a giving over of my entire soul to God. And the action of worship is embodied in this idea of Selah. Most importantly, Psalms are written out of real life situations, real life examples. There's a German term called Sitz in Lieben, which is used by several biblical scholars to illustrate that there are original life situations to these Psalms. These aren't written to make money. Most of the songs you heard up on stage a moment ago and most of contemporary music is written to make what, friends? They want to make some coin. The psalm writers, to our best knowledge, wrote because they're in life situations that they wanted to connect to God with, not to make a shekel off the person down the street. Many psalms carry prophetic messages in them, but not all. Many give praise to the king of Israel, David, but not all. Most hold up Israel, but not all as well. Many psalms are very dark in nature and uncomfortable to modern-day Christians as we read them. More on that next week when I get to come with the dark side of the psalms. What is interesting is that God does not pre-prescribe to the Jews or to us how to worship. Give you a second just to think through that. God doesn't say the only way to worship is to do X. He doesn't pre-prescribe it, no. In fact, he lets us discern, seek out, reach out what worship truly is. The Psalms allow us to engage already completed worship that is holistic, lyrically. I have a good professor from seminary who said his most worshipful experience was attending a U2 concert. Some of you are like, U2, you, me, you three, who? Some of us, the most worshipful experience are hearing great hymns at a large cathedral. Both can be worshipful, and both can be worshipful to the same person at different phases of their life. But what the Psalms effectively do is take a thousand years of worship and two thousand years of Jewish history of a people and their story to be told in the presence of God, the only God that is among them. There are numerous categories to the Psalms, and we're going to explore several over the next several weeks. Next week, we'll be going into sadness and weeping and sorrow with Pastor Scott. Yay! In two weeks, Pastor Michael will get us through joys in the Psalms. Then we'll talk about individual and communal history in the Psalms. Really excited about that one on the 30th. On the 7th, we'll be talking about help in battling enemies. Psalms of penance are saying, hey, I need to, to confess something through these lyrics. And then lastly, strategically, we do think about what we're doing 11-20, November 20th, right before we get into Advent and this time called Christmas. We'll be talking about the Messianic Psalms and excited as we bridge the gap with that psalm. What these do in these categories, it gives a breadth of sense to the reader that everything we do 
Worship and reading the Psalms are as natural as breathing. We don't think about when we breathe for the most part. Unless you're in crisis and you have to catch your breath or you can't find your breath, then you start thinking about the act of breathing. But worship, friends, is as natural as breathing for the most of us. We just have to sometimes exercise that breathing apparatus. And that's what we're going to be doing through this idea of Psalms. With that in mind, let's transition to Psalm 1 and talk through a structural psalm and also a wisdom psalm. And great job hearing that just a moment ago. It goes like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is on the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law both day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The psalm uses comparison. It contrasts the person who is good versus the person who is wicked. And to show a person of God versus a person who does not follow God. It's a dualism that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You have this fruit and you can either eat the fruit or don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit, don't eat the fruit. And they eat the fruit and they get a penalty. We see that the psalmist in Psalm 1 set this up right away for the people. They read and they say, this is a person who follows the Lord. A well-watered tree yields its fruit in season. And whatever they do, did you catch that? Whatever they do, it prospers. This is a great lyric, both for the ancient reader, and that sounds pretty good for us today too, right, church? As we see, blessed is utter happiness, utter happiness, a joy, similar to the Beatitudes, but different words and different contexts, different meanings, different times. But the Hebrew word for meditate in verse two whose delight is on the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. The word for meditate is actually an onomatopoeia, which is a word that sounds like the action of what you're doing. And onomatopoeia is, is, is similar to, in this word, in this case, a lion watching over what is actually captured. Can you imagine being a lion and sitting over an elk or a whatever they eat and this thing, they're like, whoa, I'm so excited to eat this in front of me. That's how I eat, just confession time. Why? So if you ever watch Go Out to Eat Me with Me, I'm like, hey, I got a, my butter burger here. And I'm like, and it's just this sound and this idea of meditating on God's law in the psalm is like thirsting over something that is just a delicacy right in front of you that is, is, you're just kind of salivating and making this, this raw primal sound as you're about to eat it. Please don't eat God's law. But the result of this type of meditation, this like a focus, this laser-like idea of an animal right before its prey means that you're going to have success. But then the psalm turns on a dime, verse four. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff. What's a chaff? Again, a, a cultural idea that this idea of chaff is just the leftover grain that's just thrown out for, for various livestock to eat. It's not very beneficial, not very healthy. It's just kind of like it's garbage for them to eat. We had a, a friend who lived in, in, in Iowa and he was a part of a, a, a big pizza chain. And this pizza restaurateur would come home and he had several pigs who lived because it's Iowa and Nebraska and everyone has livestock. We ride cows to work, okay? And this idea that he would take, he would take the leftover pizza from that night and feed it to one pig. It was a total science experiment. And the rest of the pigs, he'd feed them good pig slop. And they said, when they butchered that pig, it tasted awful. Awful. Isn't that fascinating? This idea that the 
chaff, the leftovers, the garbage, compared to the person who's the water tree who always has success, a huge comparison. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction versus ultimate prospering. It seems very grim and not the way that we like to feel our church. We like Jesus like the happy multivitamin. I I get my Jesus in the week and I can go the rest of the week. Yay. Instead, it gives a bold contrast to the ways in which the reader is reading these lyrics. We don't know the song that these went to. It could have been Mbop. But in more likely, this song is so, style was so unrecognizable that it wouldn't even make sense to us sitting in the room here today. A well-watered tree versus chaff. When understood as the first lyric of 149 other songs that followed this first one, this psalm serves as a construct of the two paths that the singers can take. Are you coming into these 150 songs wanting to murmur over what is in front of you, which is God's word? Or are you coming into these psalms that you want to do your own way and not follow the way of the Lord? Because when you read the lyrics of these psalms with these two different ideas, starting in verse one, boy, the rest of them sound completely different paths that you can take. What the challenges are to become well-watered versus chaff, to see hardship and sorrow, joy and rejoicing, and all of God's people history filleted open for the reader to ingest. What is difficult is how to apply this in every 150 of the Psalms to modern-day New Testament readers, to us sitting in the room today. We have to understand the context and ours. First, this Psalm was written for a certain time and place. We don't know on either what was the case of this particular Psalm, and many of them we will not know, but it's essentially structural for the rest of the book, for the writer of the books of Psalms, the editor. We see that their theology is very dualistic, either good for good or bad for bad. And you'll find that as we go through the 150 Psalms, there's actually some that say the opposite, that there are times that it feels like God rewards good people with bad things and bad people with good things. Here, we see that they try to set up the stage for the rest of the Psalms in order a lens to read through these lyrics. Secondly, the Psalm is used as language, instruments, and geography that aren't used in our modern worship settings, Christian or Jewish. I would love to see Charlie Vancher play the lute. I think all of us would, right? Maybe he can, I don't know. We'll talk to him after the service. Can you play the lute? But the concept is, is that these Psalms musically do not carry the weight. And yet, and this is number three, psalms are still powerful lyric to worship and hold and are true theology. Just as some lyrics written today do not apply for years in the future, many songs about a payphone that my kids don't know what that is. Those psalms will not age well. But there's some lyrics that convey ideas of love and hurt that can be even a catchy earworm that will age well. These 150, though certainly there have been more hymns written by the Jewish people to their God. We don't know how many more, but these 150 are the highlights, the compendium, the, the best of the best they've put together in this book of Psalms. When we worship, ascribe praise to the one who is worthy. See, worship is meant to connect us to God. 
to shape our soul to its original intent. We can do so with various forms and other worship and styles. Worship is not meant, friends, and never is meant to be a static ritual, though some worship can be comforting in some of its ritualistic patterns. See, friends, it's this. Worship is a posture before the divine. It is a connection to God through the medium of human communication to the divine, through song, through dance, art, word, creation, and worship, friends, can even be rest. Worship is not a preference. For about 4,000 years, people have documented worship. We can have country one week, hard rock the next, Paul Baloche one, or Baloche, and Charles Wesley another. It's up to the worshiper to connect via the medium to the great God and realize there's a beauty in all types of worship and, and, Therefore, we should have worship leaders, our wise counsel, and staff who are leading the way and connecting to us in multiple ways of worship. Come back next week, we'll have E3 Kids singing up here. We're even working on a Christian rapper. I'm serious. There's this idea and this concept that worship doesn't have to be preformed in one person's mode. In fact, everything I do throughout my week can be worship to God. My commute The work that I do, the words that I say to my fellow human beings that I'm around can all be worshipful. But it is through the Psalms where we see the God of Moses, the God of David, and Jesus himself portrayed by lyric to help us come with all that we are to the great God who comforts, who rejoices, and is present in the posture we all come in. In a few moments when we eat this bread and drink this cup that's set before us, We may nourish our souls by faith on the spiritual presence of Christ. When we remember and proclaim his death, he manifests himself as infinitely precious. And he shows us all that God promises to be for us in Christ. This is the food for our souls. It's a form of worship. And Jesus gives us a lyric to follow that we'll say in a moment. See, the Lord's Supper is worship because it expresses the infinite worth of Christ. No one is more worthy to be remembered. No one is more worthy to be proclaimed. And no one can nourish our souls with eternal life but Jesus Christ. So as we come and remember, proclaim and eat, think of the lyric that you'd like to lift up to God through this act of communion that we'll celebrate in a moment. Here at E3 Church, we do not exclude anyone from the table of God. If you proclaim that Jesus is your Lord, you're welcome to come to the table and eat. We use gluten-free bread. We have three different, four different stations set up. Excuse me. We have two on this side. Come to the closest one you're near. We have one up front in the middle and then several that are back on the communion table for those who are sitting in the back. We would love to invite all into this act of worship. And then as you take your elements, we'll go through the liturgy that Jesus gives us. And we'd invite you to take the elements during the song, to stay seated and hold them before we all take them together. With that in mind, let's pray over this, pray over the elements we're about to receive. Father, I thank you for being a God, a great God, who gives us words that sometimes seem so hard to utter. And through these Psalms, we find lyric for that which our soul yearns for. God, I pray that these words we go through over the coming weeks and the words we say here in a moment would bless our souls as we worship and transform the shape of that soul more into what you intend it to be and not what we 
change it in our own understandings. Lord, help us to come fully before you and before these elements to bless the bread and the cup and allow it to be your spiritual presence here in this physical room and that your presence would inspire and instill in us that you desire to be with us through all the words and all the lyrics we come together with. We say this blessing over these elements. Amen. Come, the table is open.